0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and let's go back to Psalm 107 and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Last week. We didn't meet last week. Uh, Two weeks ago, I suppose it was. I'm getting uh, dates and everything all mixed up by missing services. And uh, we talked about why is it so difficult? Why do we have to be reminded as the people of God to give thanks? You know, over and over in the scripture we're told, Give thanks um, unto the Lord, for He is good in the Psalms. First Thessalonians that we're told that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And uh, I was thinking as we talked last time, that ought to be the most natural thing in the world for us to give thanks. So last time we said, Why don't we give thanks? And it kind of boils down to this. I guess we uh, probably could have summarized everything into these two things. We're forgetful. That's just a part of our life. We just forget. What have you done for me lately? We forget what all the Lord has done and how good he has been, how gracious he's been to us. And the children of Israel were the same way. When the psalmist in 107 calls him back to think about all of the things that the Lord has done. And, uh, you know, it's easy after a while you forget about the Red Sea. You forget about being slaves in Egypt. You forget about manna. You forget about quail. You forget about the walls of Jericho falling. Um, it, It just is easy to forget about those kind of things. And we do the same thing. We forget how lost we were. And that's the second thing, I guess we would say. We forget how good God is. And we forget... How desperate we were. Now, I don't feel all that desperate tonight. I probably should. And you probably don't feel all that desperate tonight either. And you probably should. We forget so quickly how our human endeavor, we just sang about it. If the Lord marked our transgressions, who could stand? That comes out of the Psalms as well. And the answer is none of us. None of us. We don't have a a good defense. And think about all of those poor people who are going to stand before the Lord in the great white throne judgment when the Lord calls up the dead, great and small, to stand before Him. Who's got a defense attorney for that? Who's got an alibi for that? And there, there won't be any. And that's what the psalmist is saying when he says, if you marked our transgressions, who could stand? And if you think tonight about how terrifying it might be if a cop showed up here and they were coming to get you and take you out of this service and you were handcuffed, taken out, and they said something terrible has happened here. Where were you at such and such a time? And you don't have a good answer. Can you imagine how afraid you would be? Can you imagine the um, terror that would fill your heart when you're thinking, they've got me and I don't have any way of getting out of this. Can you imagine standing before the judge and hearing the charges that are read and you don't have any answer or any alibi for that? And it would be terrible. Except, I'm going to assume you would be innocent in that situation. But when you stand before the Lord, no one is innocent. And it's a horrible thing to stand before the Lord because the book of Hebrews says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I think we miss that and I think we forget about that and we don't understand how, how, uh, what a terrible situation we would be in had it not been for the Lord and for His grace. So it ought to be that thankfulness is just a second nature to us for what the Lord has done. But tonight... We want to uh, look and we want to see some things that are undeniable truths. And the reason I say that is, he's going to tell us what happens when the people of God, or anyone else for that matter, become unthankful. That's one of the signs of the coming of the Lord Jesus in the latter days, perilous times. And it talks about not only the times we live in being perilous, but as people... Uh, They become unthankful and unholy. And we want to consider the unthankful part of that tonight. And uh, every parent in here can relate to some of these things because we've seen it happen in our children's lives. What happens to our children when they quit being grateful, when they quit being thankful for the things that maybe you do for them or what they have or what they've experienced? They turn into just little brats. So many times. And as they get older, they're bigger brats. And they get into more serious trouble sometimes. And so the psalmist here is describing Israel in the wilderness after being delivered from slavery. And so uh, he writes like this in verse 17. Ready? Fools, or some translations say something like this. They become fools or foolish. Fools because of their... Transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. verse eighteen the soul their soul abhorred all manner of food. What food would that be? manna, quail they abhorred all of it. they weren't thankful for it, they hated it, and they were um, well, you remember the story, their soul abhorred all manner of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. I'd rather die than eat this stuff again. In other words. Verse 19. Well, then they cried out to the Lord. And they cried out in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. And you think about through the wilderness again and again and again. Whether it was a physical enemy or whether it was a need. Or whether it was something that they wanted or whatever. The Lord Constantly was doing that. Verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their uh, destructions. Verse 21. And he comes back to this again. A, a repeat of the refrain of last week. Oh, that men, that people would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. You know, uh, that last line, we sometimes will talk about the Lord and we'll talk about his works. But those, uh, the, the two words, with rejoicing, kind of bother me. I can tell you what the Lord has done. But sometimes I do it just kind of, uh, it's in my memory. It's something that I studied. It's something that we all know. But where's the joy? And I would ask you the same thing. What has God done? And as you recite and remember those things, where is your joy? And I think the reason that we don't have that joy is because we take it for granted. What is uh, another word for taking things for granted? I'm thankful. And so what happens To people, the psalmist tells us here... What happens to people when they become ungrateful... When they become unthankful for what the Lord has done. Now again, hearkening back to a couple of weeks ago... We should never have a time where we are unthankful. We know too much. We've experienced too much. And then as though the psalmist wants to give us a word of warning... Because the Apostle Paul said all of these things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition for a warning so that we don't become like them. Well, he tells us here what they became like when they forgot everything that God had done for them. There's some practical things here. And the very first thing that happens is unthankful people become fools. And that's why in verse 17 it starts off reminding us of that. It's possible for you to be a saved person, to be a redeemed person just like the Israelites were, and to turn into nothing more than a fool, to live a foolish life, to waste what you have, to take for granted what you have. Now, who hasn't seen one of your children do something stupid and foolish because they were whining about what they didn't have, And they were ungrateful for what they had. And they didn't really take into consideration what all you had done for them. And so uh, what do they do? They get into, if they're a little kid, they get into more trouble. Haven't you ever been dealing with a toddler or maybe a child a little bit older than that? And you tell them, you give them a warning about something that uh, they're getting in trouble for. And you think in your mind... If they were smart, they would stop right now. You ever done that? And yet they keep on. They keep on. They keep pushing and they keep pushing and they keep pushing. You know, somebody said it's like being chewed to death by a duck. I mean, after all, or after a while, you just have had enough of it. And you tell them, if you don't stop this and if you don't get happy, Old people used to say when I was a kid, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. Remember that? And if you don't change your attitude, you know what's going to happen. And maybe they go to timeout. Maybe they go to their room. Maybe you take something away from them. Maybe they even get spanked. And what do they do? They push it one more time. And you don't want to, but your word means something. And so you've got to carry through with your threats. Don't ever make a threat to your kid, especially when they're little, that you're not willing to carry out. And if you do make the threat, carry it out. Well, sometimes you just wonder, what is wrong with you? That you keep on doing this. Did you not hear what I said? Don't you understand? You know what you're really saying about your little kid? They're a fool. Oh, I would never say that. Well, you're thinking it. And you're using other words. And it's biblical because in the book of Proverbs it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You ever read that? That's why you don't leave them alone by themselves. That's why you get a babysitter. That's why you have your uh, grandparents watch them. That's why you put covers on your outlets and all that. Kids don't know any better. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And then he goes on to say, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. That's the reason, parents, that you spank them. That's the reason you discipline them to get the foolishness out of their life. But you know when you uh, start getting up to where they're teenagers, and they start thinking that the world owes them everything and you owe them everything as well. And they don't understand why you won't buy them certain things or do certain things for them. And they get that snotty, rebellious, ungrateful attitude. Boy, it gets under your skin, doesn't it? A lot of you have raised teenagers. You remember. They weren't perfect little angels. And neither were you at the time. You didn't understand what it was like to have to pay bills to pay a mortgage and to pay utilities and to buy groceries and satisfy somebody who's never satisfied. man, I remember about the time Taylor started getting to the age where a kid's meal wasn't enough, but the adult meal that you pay full price for was too much. And, you know, it's like, this is getting a little annoying. Well, then they go into that stage where it doesn't matter if you spent $100 at a restaurant just on them. They wouldn't be full when they left. Remember those days when you couldn't keep a gallon of milk in the refrigerator? When you bought two gallons of milk and it didn't last very long? Remember that time when, I mean, it's just everything that they did, it just insatiable. But it wasn't just with the food, was it? It was everything else. They wanted more clothes. They wanted more money for going out with their friends. They wanted, I mean, you could go on and on and on with all of that. And when you couldn't give them what they wanted, do you remember that look that they might give you? I don't remember ever seeing in my children a time or a look of, well, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. I know you do your best. And I'm not going to bug you about this anymore I don't remember that happening if it did it must have been very rare so I'm not going to say it didn't I don't remember ever having a time to where they walked away saying oh that's okay those kind of things don't really matter all that much anyway because to be fair when you're a teenager all of those things I mean that's your world. And they are very, very important to you. And parents ought to understand that and not just discount everything they do, but they ought to be grateful for what they do have as well. And sometimes I think that as the children of God, we think sometimes that our spiritual maturity is based upon our chronological age. Now, if that's the truth, everybody in the room tonight ought to be a really, really really mature Christian. Yeah, I just called you old, didn't I? We ought to be really, really mature. But we're not. Because our spiritual growth doesn't match the calendar. Our spiritual growth comes through the discipline of the Lord. It comes by walking through valleys and going through storms and responding, listen to this, and responding properly to them and learning the lessons from them. See, there are a lot of God's children, they go through a lot of valleys, and they go through a lot of storms, but they don't learn anything from them. They don't apply the principles that they learn, and so they go from storm to storm, from valley to valley, and they get frustrated, and they get angry, and they don't understand why they're going through it again. Well, it's kind of like God might have said to the children of Israel, well, here we go again. Here we go again. Take another lap around Mount Sinai. You're not going into the promised land yet. Well, where is this land flowing with milk and honey? Well, you're not ready for it yet. Well, are we ready now? And then they go through another storm. They go through another valley. And they turn out to be the same old whiners. Isn't that the the picture for those 40 years? And the Lord said, take another lap. You're not ready yet. And that first generation went through so much. From slavery in Egypt to the Red Sea to the manna and the quail and all of the other things, the miracles that were in the wilderness. And yet they, of all people, didn't get to enter in because of what? Unbelief. And you know, a lot of God's children today, maybe I'm speaking to you, you've been through a lot and you've experienced a lot, but it's been a long time since your faith has grown. It's been a long time Since you really applied what you learned and what you were taught. When is the last time you sat through a Sunday school lesson with a burning desire? Not only to know the information, but to apply it. And you said, never again, Lord. My life is going to be different because from now on, I'm applying what I learned. But far too many of us are like the teenager. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe you're a hundred years old chronologically, but spiritually, you're about four. Because you forget easily. You don't care what anybody says. You don't really understand it. And you don't really try to understand it. Have you noticed there comes a point in their child's life where they don't understand what you're saying and they don't care to understand. All they do is cry because they want what they want. Now later, as they grow up, they want to know why. Why? And you can teach them, and they can learn and grow, and hopefully they do. Well, sometimes we're like that as a people of God. God's Word says something, we read it, we don't care. We just skip on by, and we never use our mind, we never think, we never pray about it, we never even try to apply it. We just put in our time, forget it, and go back to life as normal. That's why you don't grow. That's why you keep going through storms. That's why you keep going through valleys and it never seems to help. It never seems to mean anything to you. And there's a word for you if you're like that. Sorry, it's the word fool. We are fools if we sit under the teaching of the word of God and don't apply it. We're fools if we go through the valleys and the storms and we don't come out better because of that. We are fools if we're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Because all we're doing is repeating everything over and over and over. And all we do is whine and cry about it. And if we could hear the Lord, he would say to us, because you're not learning. You're being like the Old Testament people, the children of Israel. They would go through all of these things and they didn't learn. They were F-O-O-L-S. They were my foolish children. Now the good news is he didn't forsake them. And he would say they might be fools, but they're my fools. And he could say that about us, couldn't he? They may be rebellious, but they're my rebels. They may be apathetic, but they're my apathetic believers. He has committed himself to us. And as a result of all that he has done, what do we do? We continue on, business as usual, living a foolish life. And that foolish life comes back to the whole idea of being unthankful. Unthankful people are foolish people. So if you find yourself being named as a fool, according to what the scripture might say, you can trace that back that you're not grateful for what the Lord has done. You're always wanting more. You're always wanting something different than what he gives. This picture a Christmas morning around the tree and you're excited as a parent for what you've got your children and they open up that gift and they look at it and they go, I don't like this and they throw it to the side. Why couldn't I have had... What's your reaction going to be? Probably not going to be a pleasant one and you're probably not going to feel good about it. But how much has the Lord given us and we're always interested in what He hasn't given us instead of being thankful for what He has given us and we act... Like fools. And I'm going to belabor this point with one more thing and say, isn't that what Eve did in the garden at the tree? Unthankful for all of the stuff that God had done and all of the trees that she had. But that one that she couldn't have, that was eating her alive and she obsessed over that one thing. How different would our lives be If we quit looking at the things that we don't have and can't have and started being thankful for the things that we do have and for the things that God has done for us, and we could be content. How many verses in the Bible are there about being content? That's what it's about because unthankful people end up acting like fools. And you've seen that in your life, and you've seen that in the lives of your children. And so that's why we need to apply it. Number two, unthankful people suffer needlessly. Now, I'm going to say this. You'll suffer regardless. Even if you were living perfect from here on out, you will suffer. That's a promise in the Word of God. But look down at the verse here. It says they were fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. In other words, there was a lot that they went through that couldn't be helped. It's just a part of growing up, part of life. You're going to go through valleys and storms. But the psalmist here is indicating that there were a lot of valleys and a lot of storms that they didn't have to go through if they had only obeyed God. Sometimes, because we get unthankful and we act foolishly, There's a divine discipline. There's some lessons we have to learn. There's some things we have to go through that had we just paid attention, we could have skipped that one. It's always nice when you're in college and you uh, got with your faculty advisor and you're planning out your schedule for the next semester and that advisor would say, Hey, it looks like you did well enough in a prerequisite, I can say that word, for this class. Why don't you take the CLEP test, is what they called it when I was in school, and see if you can get out of that one. And if you could take it and be able to skip that class because you already knew the material, that was a good thing. There are a lot of storms in life that I take it from this verse and the example of ancient Israel. There are a lot of things we could clep out of if we just would apply what we already know. If we wouldn't be so dumb as to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over but expecting different results. Isn't that the way we live most of the time? Just obey God. Learn the lesson that He taught you And you can get out of some of these trials. Now, again, make sure that you understand we didn't say you would get out of all of them because when the rabbi wrote the book Why uh, Good People Suffer or something like that, well, there's a problem with that because, number one, God has said all of us are going to suffer. And number two, there's none good, no, not one. So bad things do happen to good people. That's the title And so we're going to go through some things. But according to this, there are some things we could get out of. How many needless things have you been through because you were not a thankful person and because you were unthankful and ungrateful and because you were acting like a fool? The consequences of that meant another storm, another valley that you have to go through that you could have skipped had you just applied the truth thirdly unthankful people get bored have you ever noticed how we live in such a culture where we're bored all the time boy my dad in particular hated to ever hear one of his children say i'm bored and it got to the point to where my brother jeff and i hated when the words i'm bored or this is boring came out of our mouths because you know what happened back in the old days when you said you were bored? Your parents found some way to make you unbored. And it wasn't always pleasant. There was some kind of work that always needed to be done. And uh, I can remember there were times when I would say, you know, I'm just kind of bored. And mom would look at me and say, bored? I think your father could take care of that. He's probably got plenty of things around here that you could do if you're bored. Boy, there was always, always something. My dad really believed in work, and there was always something that needed to be done. So you learned after a while not to be bored. Well, I've noticed that I hear people say all the time, I'm just bored, and I'm just tired, and I'm just, you know, and and you look, and there's just kind of a dullness about them. What in the world? We live in a society where there are more options, more entertainment, more availability of things like travel and fun things to do and places to go and things to see and places to eat. Why would we ever, ever be bored? You know what uh, that is actually saying? Okay, let's go back to Greg as a teenager when he started to say... I'm bored and caught himself. You know what I was really saying to my parents? I don't really appreciate this house that you've bought. I don't really appreciate the TV with the three channels and no remote that uh, you paid for. I don't really appreciate the food that you've given me or the clothes that are on my back. Eh, I'm just bored. Can you not hear just a little bit of Eve coming out of that? Eve looking around and she sees a talking snake. Well, that got her attention. She had never seen that before. So she decides to go up and talk to the talking snake. And when she does, the snake says some things that kind of point out what Eve doesn't have instead of being grateful for what she has. And you know what happened as the snake began to talk to her? And the snake, of course, was the devil. Eve began to think about things like this. You know, I am a little tired of all of these trees. Maybe this fruit would be what I'm really looking for. And there is the serpent to go, Oh, it sure is. Right? But we're not supposed to eat anything from this tree. We're not even supposed to touch it. Because if we do, we might die. That's what she said. She said, Lest we die... God never said, you might die. Sammy and I like to watch The Amazing Race. And sometimes I say, here's what they have to do. And the last person to get to this point may be eliminated. Because sometimes they don't. God never said, don't eat of the tree lest you die. He said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. But Eve, you know, she, it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. I might try it. This might be the thing that I'm looking for. You know what that whole interchange drips with? Eve was bored with the garden. Eve was bored with Adam. Eve was bored with everything of all the trees. And Eve was bored with being who she was because the moment the serpent said, you shall be as God, she was ready to take a bite. And how many times have you heard the old expression, an idle mind is the what? Devil's workshop. Very good. Why? Because there's something about boredom. There's something about kicking our minds into neutral that we will fall for things and we will do things that we normally wouldn't do. I don't know what came over me. This is not like me. I can tell you, you became unthankful. You acted like a fool. Now you're going through something you didn't have to go through. And get ready because in that, the boredom will come in. I wonder how many people are sitting in prison today because of the thrill of what they did. through alcohol or drugs or uh, some type of immorality or stealing or whatever. Boy, it was a thrill when they did it. But boy, are they ever bored now. It's one of the consequences that comes into life. The joy leaves. The excitement leaves. The thrill is gone. And then we are vulnerable to even more problems. Why would you do that? I don't know. I just, you know, you got to do something, we might say. I don't know. It's just, you know, there wasn't anything else to do. And so you got into trouble. You did something you knew wasn't right. And that can all be traced back to what? Because you weren't thankful. Thankful people are not bored. Thankful people don't have those things. They are so grateful and they're excited about what they have and uh, they don't get into as much trouble. Number four, unthankful people expect to be bailed out. Look at the next thing. What did they do? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them. Now I wish whenever they did that that we could read through the story of Israel in the wilderness that the Lord would deliver them. How many times did he deliver them after all? How many times after they got into the land did he deliver them? How many times in the book of Judges did he deliver them? And it's over and over and over and over and over. Because you know what they had in their minds? Well, if I do get in trouble, God will get me. God will fix it. God will get me out of this. You know, I had somebody in our church one time this is years ago that I confronted them about a sin that they, were, that they had in their life a pretty blatant repetitive sin and they said to me so they looked at me oh, I don't worry about all of that God's sovereign and I'll just do warfare and it'll be okay boy that person was asking for it weren't they because it's the idea that I can sin no biggie God's gracious. God's merciful. You know, i got a feeling that when you do that, it's almost like you are trampling on the blood and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you can look at the cross and yawn, something is wrong. When you can think about what your Savior did for you and just walk all over him, Because you're going to do what you want to do, the way you want to do it. And you know that God will forgive. Well, it is true that God will forgive. But we're not supposed to have that attitude. And all of this section, as we look through it, it's interesting that we started off two weeks ago with, we ought to be thankful. And then we get to this section, and we find out these undeniable truths. Whenever you get unthankful, what do you do? Well, these four things. You've seen it again in society, and you've seen it in your own children. And where does the psalmist bring us under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Right to this, verse 21. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice. That's an act of worship. The sacrifices of thanksgiving. See, there's a cure for your boredom. Start giving thanks and doing things for the Lord and ministering and and showing your appreciation to Him. The sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Start praising God. Start telling other people what God has done. And do it with joy in your heart. Do it so it will bless and encourage them. Do it so that it brings honor and glory to God in this dark, dark world. That would take away all of our boredom and just being glum and just our relationship with God is, eh, he's only there to forgive me. He's only there to bail me out when I get into trouble. Then it would keep us out of needless storms, We'd make progress instead of just spinning our wheels in the mud. And then something else would happen. You and I would become wise. And if there's anything that the world needs now is some wisdom. And it's not going to come through lost people, is it? It comes from the word of God because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And why is it that we are unthankful and ungrateful and go through this process here that we've talked about? There's something wrong. Something wrong with the way we think about God. Because the fear of God would keep us out of this mess. But we don't have any fear of God. We're way too casual. And we think of Him more as just an old buddy that we can call on anytime we need Him. And no wonder... We do foolish, stupid things, even as believers who know better. No wonder we go through trials, and then we whine and go, Why me? And why is this happening again? And then we find ourselves getting bored, being tempted, drawn astray, looking for something to do. And then, what do we say? Ah, God will get me out. And that means our relationship with God, it might be a mile wide, but it's a half half an inch deep. And we're just wading into waters that we could be swimming in. We're just sipping, like the little Lord's Supper cups, we're just sipping of little things of grace when we could have gallons of it at our disposal. And so tonight... If I could say, is there anything that you could do to be a corrective in your life? I would say, yeah, tons of things. There are 66 books in the Bible that will do that. Well, where do I start? Start here. Start giving thanks to God. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The will of God is to be A thankful believer in all things. Can we start now? Heavenly Father, we are the most ungrateful, spoiled, rotten children that have ever existed. It's worse, it seems to me, in this generation than it's ever been. But you would know that far better than I would. So Lord, I come asking you to forgive us. And I include myself in that. So easy to get disgruntled with something we ought to be shouting praises for. It's so easy to take for granted something that is actually miraculous and shows your power and shows your grace and your mercy and your love. It's so easy to take for granted all of the things that we have and we are the little kid with all of the toys saying there's nothing to do. Where the person who goes to a closet for a clothes and says, I don't have anything to wear. where the people who go to a pantry or a refrigerator full of food and say, I don't want any of that. There's nothing to eat. Then we wonder why we get into trouble. Lord, forgive us and help us to grow up. And let it start tonight by us just learning to say thank you. Even before we feel thankful... We ought to say thank you. And I pray we would do that out of obedience to you that we might grow. In Jesus' name, amen.